Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. here and I am Jonathan Stiano as it's going to come up on the screen now there uh, consultant plastic surgeon Q&A we've got some good questions here tonight um, not like usual got some good questions tonight so uh, if you have any questions you can always ask them live and I will try and answer them if I can but uh, I've got some preordained questions and uh, let's not forget that we've got the podcast on iTunes and also it's not daily I shouldn't I've got, I've got to change this slide it's not a daily vlog but we've got a, we've got video I should just put videos on YouTube there you go that's a bit of advertising there so there we go so please comment and share please comment and share Roxana's in the house hi Roxana nice to see you and um, I am going to get cracking with the questions I've got. But if you've got any questions, please do feel absolutely free to uh, ask away. So here we go. This question has come from someone who has said uh, breast implants with sickle cell anemia. I suffer from sickle cell anemia and would like to know if Dr. Stiano would be willing to operate on me. I read on realself.com that he quoted you should be fine to have breast augmentation with sickle cell disease as long as your surgeon and the anesthetists are aware they should be able to make sure that you do not suffer any ill effects. I would like to stress that I'm perfectly healthy and I've not been admitted to hospital in many years. I've exchanged blood transfusions every eight weeks in London to reduce the chance of sickle crisis. I would require a femoral line insertion because I have difficult access to my veins and my arms and feet, but that's very straightforward and easy to do. My haematology consultant is happy for me to have the surgery. I just need a surgeon who's comfortable to operate on me. Right, so I thought I'd mention this because I feel like, I feel like, oh God, apparently I said it's fine in sickle cell and, um, anemia. What did I say? I said I was quoted in real self. You should be fine to have breast augmentation with sickle cell disease as long as your surgeon and these sister are aware. I do stand by that. And I do stand by the fact that sickle cell is not um, an an absolute contraindication to surgery. But what I would say is there's two, there's different types of sickle cell. The sickle cell anemia and sickle cell tray. Um, so sickle cell tray is the most common type of sickle cell. Most people have sickle cell tray, which is um, means that they can pass it on, but they don't have the full blown disease. The uh, and it's not as, as severe as sickle cell um, disease, sickle cell anemia. Um, the problem with sickle cell anemia is you're fine most of the time, but you can get crises. And a crisis, or a sickle cell crisis, means that your blood, your red blood cells, sickle. They become misshapen, and then they get trapped in places. So you can get them. They can get trapped in your bones. You can get bone pains. They get all sorts of problems um, when your blood cells sickle and so you've got a the the the, the um, sickle cells 
become sickle when you are stressed and surgery is a stressful event i don't mean stressful as in you don't want to say i'm really relaxed i'm not really worried about it it stresses the body it's a stress on the body and if you have someone with sickle cell what we do in surgery is we take great efforts to um reduce the sort of stressful load to the body so we make sure they're well oxygenated make sure they're pain free make sure they're well hydrated so you're a bit more careful about these things in people who are sickle cell and it is fine to do surgery in people who are sickle cell as long as you make sure these things are in place having said that it's a bit like when you say can i have surgery from diabetic yes you can it's not an absolute there's two things there's absolute contraindications and relative contraindications so an absolute contraindication means you absolutely can't have the surgery if you have this problem um so it's not an absolute but it's a relative contraindication in terms of you may have a higher risk of having problems so you you know you may develop a sickle cell crisis because you are sickle cell whereas someone else who isn't so there is a higher risk of having problems so it depends on how bad your sickle cell is now this patient sounds like it's pretty bad i gotta say i mean it sounds like she's fine because she's you know her, her fit and healthy and and, uh, and not not symptomatic with it but exchange blood transfusions eight weeks and needs a femoral line which was it straightforward? I don't, I'm not sure if a femoral line is straightforward, you know. Um, so this sounds like a bad one, to be honest with you. And <coughs> I wouldn't like to say carte blanche is fine for everybody with sickle cell. It depends on how bad your disease is in the same way that, uh, you know, diabetes or asthma or all these other sort of illnesses are not um, absolute contraindications, but they're relative contraindications because it may flare up your underlying disease by having surgery. So again, it's like anything, you've got to weigh up the balance of the benefits of having surgery against the risks. And people with concurrent diseases will have potential risk, increased risks because of those concurrent diseases. And it's about weighing that up. Now, it's really important that they've said that this, the haematology consultant is happy because that's the first thing. We said, look, go and talk to your haematology consultant because we would write to the haematologist and say, look, first of all, are you happy? Secondly, is there anything we can do to optimize your condition? Because if there's something that we can do to optimize your condition, we'll do that first. So we've got to, if there is anything um, that needs to be done or if any particular time that would be better than another, we would we would take advice on that. If there's anything that we can do to make sure you're in the best physical shape. And then we just have to have a discussion with you. And again, the anesthetist is important in this because the anesthetist is probably more important than the surgeon. The actual surgery is probably going to be pretty similar to everybody else but uh, the anesthetist will look after the things like hydration pain-free oxygenation and what have you so we need to so we would liaise with the uh and the anesthetist and with you to weigh up the risks of surgery versus the benefit of having surgery and it just might be tipped a little bit in the uh, uh, away from the you know a little bit more towards the risks than it would be for someone else so i'm not saying it's a no i'm not saying it's a definite contraindication we would talk to um, the, 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 the relevant parties, but it does increase your risks and it does sound like you've got, um, you've got it pretty bad. Um, and the other thing that the, this, the, this person saying is, should she come to clinic uh, or talk to hematologists first or things come to clinic? What we do is we do this thing. I'm very aware that a lot of places do free consultations and we don't do free consultations. We do a free consultation event once a month, but we don't regularly do free consultations. And so I'm very aware that people think, I don't want to pay for consultation because what if they say, I can't have the surgery? So we do this thing called a satisfaction guarantee, which means that if you're not happy with what you hear or what we've said, or if we're unable to help you, we will give you your money back. So if you come and we say, look, your sickle cell's too bad, we can't do the surgery, we will give you your money back because obviously that would be a bit of a 
not a very good spend of your money to come have a consultation to get told that you can't have the surgery. So you're more than welcome to come and see us. But I would say in those circumstances, no harm in going to see the hematologist first. You said that the hematologist is happy. But, you know, just to check with the hematologist or the doctor looking after your concurrent illness, whether it be sickle cell, asthma, diabetes, whatever, to check that they're happy. Because if they're not happy, then that probably says a lot and you're probably better off not um, going ahead. But if they are happy, then you can always come and see us. And if we're not happy, we'll give you your money back. Um, and it won't be me because I'm not doing new patients, but it will be one of the great guys we've got working at the clinic. And they are great. And I'll work with them. And we'll be fine. So that's a really good question, that sickle cell one, because as I say, I've got to watch what I say, because I've been quoted saying it'll be fine, you know, but I, I think you've got to take everyone on a case by case basis when there's a concurrent illness um, like sickle cell. So, serious one to start with. Can you, good one, this is a, can you see ripples if saline implants, if saline implant is under the muscle? Um, Saline implants, we don't use them much in the UK. We use, well, they, they use them more in America than in the UK because silicone implants were banned for a long time in the uh, in the US. But they, um, so they had to use saline implants for a long time and they're still using them. We don't use them so much. Um, and one of the reasons we don't use saline implants in the UK is because they are more prone to rippling than silicone. Silicone implants are uh, made of cohesive gel. So I don't know if you've ever seen that picture of a silicone implant cut in two, it sort of form stable, keeps its form. Saline implants are sort of like bags of water because they've got saline. So you can imagine they're sort of bags of uh, bags of water. So saline implants are more prone to rippling. Therefore, saline implants pretty much always have to be put under the muscle. So the question is saying, can you see ripples if saline implants under the muscle? They pretty much always have to be put under the muscle. That's why if you go on American websites, they talk about implants under the muscle a lot more than we talk about implants under the muscle because all saline have to be, be put under the muscle. Um, because of because of the rippling issue now when you put implants under the muscle under your pec your pec muscle goes like that so this part of the implant the sort of lower and outer part of the implant is not under the muscle so the answer to your question is yes ripples are less or rippling is less when implants are placed under the muscle because it gives you good cover here and this is where you really don't want to have rippling in the in the sort of cleavage area in the upper medial quadrant of the implant of the breast you don't really want to have uh, rippling here um, but as I say, the, and that's what the muscle does. It covers that well. So you might still get rippling on the outer side of the breast, on the lateral border and the inferior border. You might still get a bit of rippling on the side there because that's not underneath the muscle. We don't cover that with muscle with a cosmetic augmentation. Different story with the reconstruction. Let's keep to the topic. Cosmetic augmentation just it goes under the pec only. And that doesn't uh, isn't. Uh, doesn't cover the, the implant, that outer border. So you might still get ripples, um, particularly laterally and inferiorly. Hopefully, uh, superiorly, it should be okay, but it depends on what you're like. If you're not, if you're quite slim and you haven't got much muscle, pretend, you know, you could still get rippling, um, but it's less likely putting them under the muscle. And the saline implants, you know, are, are best put under the muscle, I would say. I haven't got a huge experience with saline implants, actually. So um, maybe I'm not the best person to talk, to talk about saline implants but my view on it is that is that uh, yeah they're best put under the muscle we don't tend to use them much here this is a good one uh we'll change it sorry liz hi hi liz nice to see you um got a good question here will change the implants lift the breast if you change your current implants from 350 to 440 will it lift the breast at all reason for asking is it currently has dropped a bit. Um, so 
first point is it's difficult it's always difficult when you're talking about changing implants because when you're changing implants there is a variable about variable amount of things that you might have to do it's rare that you just take an implant out and put another implant back in again am i going to say never probably not never but you know it's, it's really rare to just take an implant you usually have to do something and that something usually involves doing something around the capsule the capsule is the scar tissue for the forms around the implant. So you might have to do a capsulectomy, you might have to remove the capsule, you might have to do a capsulotomy, you might have to score the capsule um, in order to accommodate a slightly bigger implant. If the implant is indeed bigger, you might have to do a capsulography, which means closing down the capsule. If the implant's smaller, you might have to close down the capsule um, to, to, to close down the pocket so the implant's not wobbling about all over the place. But you usually have to do something. And when you've had an implant, especially when you've had it in for a while, the, the capsule often tightens around the implant. You may not have a full bone capsular contracture, but it can tighten around the implant and make the implant look a bit more rounded than before. And for these two reasons, for one reason, you have to do something to the capsule. And for two reasons, the, the capsule is often a bit tight around the implant, giving it a bit more projection and, and squeezing it a bit means that often when you do a change of implant, you have to put a slightly bigger implant in to give you the same effect. So often, if you're sort of, mm, which one should I go? Often it's usually better to go a little bit bigger just to fill that pocket, to fill that space a bit better uh, to give you the same effect. So that's the first point, just in general when changing implants. Specifically, it's a really interesting question, this. We'll go 350 to 440. Um, First of all, if you want to lift the breast, implants are not great at doing that. The best way to lift the breast is a lift. A lift means cutting around the nipple, lifting the nipple, tightening the skin, gives you lots of scars. And a lot of people say, I don't want the scars. You say, fine, you don't have to have the scars, but that is the best way of lifting the breast. An, an implant, you can get some degree of added projection. So basically the reason people say they need a lift or feel like they need a lift is because they've got too much skin usually because maybe just because of gravity over the years has made their breast skin stretch or usually it's something like it's usually pregnancy or weight loss those two things both stretch the skin so pregnancy stretches the skin putting weight on stretches the skin and then when the stretching force goes so putting weight on is fine but losing weight is the problem because the stretching force is gone and the skin has been stretched same with having becoming pregnant is fine your breasts get bigger fine happy days but then you lose the volume and the skin has been stretched and then you strip that's what makes the skin that what makes the breast droop so breasts droop because there's too much skin there and so you've got two options if you've got a droop to your breast one option and probably the best option is to cut that skin out cut that skin out refashion the breast move the nipple boom 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 and that's a breast lift that's what a breast lift is if you say oh i don't fancy that or if you want an implant, to a degree, you can take up that slack, slack skin with an implant. So uh, to a degree, an implant can fill the skin and give projection to the breast. As I say, it's not as good as doing a lift, but it is possible to add projection and take up some of that slack skin with an implant. But what you need to look for is you need that implant to have a bit more projection. You need that implant to to, uh, to to fill that skin pocket a bit more. And so this is why it's really crucial to look at the dimensions of the implant, because everyone will say, oh, I've got 350, oh, you've got 440, all oh, right, you know, yours are bigger than mine. 
when I look at implants, when I think about implants, I don't think about the size. The size is the last thing on my mind, and it's the first thing on the mind of the patient. The patients always think, oh, I want 200, I want 400, because my friend's got 400, so I want 450 and all this. It's all about the dimensions. So this patient has actually said, this person has said, um, not patient, human, humanoid, um, giving me the dimensions. So I know the dimensions of the implants. So, um, and what she's doing is she's keeping within the same profile. So this is why the profile is crucial. Not only the profile, but the make. But anyway, don't want to get too technical here. The profile is crucial. So if you go within this, if you keep in the same profile, 350 to 440, it's bigger in every dimension. So it's wider and it's more projection. So it is more projection, but some of that increase in volume is taken up in the width. It's a different kettle of fish if you change projection. So if you went, say, for instance, from a 350... Um, high profile. I so if you went from a 350 high profile to a 440 extra high profile, right? So for the smaller impacts of 350 high profile, 440 extra high profile, that's different. Even if you went from a 350 high profile to a 350 extra high profile, that would be a different kettle of fish because even though it's the same volume or a slightly large volume what would happen is that 350 extra high profile will be narrower than the 350 high profile and would have more projections if you looked at the dimension it would have more projection so we've got to look at the dimensions we've got to look at the dimensions the width that fits your frame don't want to get too technical but what i'm trying to say is it's really hard to to, to do this on like forums and things when people say oh what, what's best size for me you have to look at the frame look at the width that fits your body and then look at the projection that fits that width and then you've got a volume once you've got a width and a you've got a volume that just lends itself to a certain volume so as i say if you went from a 350 high profile to a 440 extra high profile the 440 extra high profile would have a lot more projection because it would be probably the either the same width as a 350 cc implant or maybe even narrower than the 350 cc implant because it's an extra high profile because it's all in the projection don't know if i'm I don't know if I'm making that, uh, make that too complicated, uh, but, but the projection is really important. The dimensions are really important because we've looked at these two and there's 350 to a 440, same profile. So they're both extra high profile. So it's bigger in every dimension. So actually the projection isn't that much more. So the bottom line is you're not going to get much of a difference going from 350 to 440, keeping the same profile. It's a couple of millimeters more projection. Given that you're having a change of implants, you're probably going to swallow up some of that volume. So it's probably not going to give you a huge amount of difference. If you want to perform a lift with an implant, you have to give quite a little, quite a bit more projection. It's difficult in this case because this, this is uh, these are extra high-profile implants, so it's hard to know where to go. But um, it's it's uh, it's a great question, and it's one that I think I've quite ably demonstrated. You need to talk about in real life um, because it's hard to sort of get all these bits and bobs all over the place in um you know in in uh, in a virtual way you have to sort of measure someone look at the different projections look at what fits the frame <sighs> joyce wants a breast reduction good on you joyce oh and she's fiona's in the house hi fiona nice to see you uh joyce and fiona both come in this is what i like multiple comments this is good Nice one, Joyce and Fiona. Well done, you guys. So can, uh, Joyce says, hello, do you need a lift with a reduction? Fiona, can you have a lift if already had one? Good 
two good questions there. Joyce, great question. We get that a lot. People say, I want a reduction and a lift. And God help you if you say that to the hospital. If you say that to the hospital, if you say that to someone on the desk at the hospital, they then look at the price for a breast reduction. They look at the price for a breast lift and they, they try and, you know, charge it double. Say, oh, yeah, you're having a reduction. Oh, you want to lift with that? OK, well, we, you know, charge you a million pounds then because you a lift is an integral part of a reduction. You don't have to say anything. Just ask for a reduction to a lift. It's not like you need an uplift with a reduction. Part of doing a reduction is a lift. So a lift is part of doing a breast reduction. Um, so everybody who has a breast reduction has a lift. In reducing the volume of the breast, you're taking the volume out of the lower pole, you're bringing the volume back into the upper pole, you're moving that nipple up, and basically a lift and a reduction are the same operation. And a lift just means that you don't remove any volume. You're just tightening the skin. Whereas a reduction, you're tightening the skin and removing some volume. So it's not that you need a rough uplift with a reduction. If you're having a reduction, an uplift is always part of it. And uh, you don't have to pay extra. You don't have to ask for it. It's all part of it. Um, Fiona, great question. Can you have a lift if already had one? Then yes, uh, yes, you can, Fiona. You need to make sure stick with the same surgeon. <laughs> no, I'm not just saying that. No, you don't have to stick with the same surgeon, Fiona. You have to ask for your for your notes and I'll happily give you your notes if you want your notes. Um because you just ask for your op note and we'll we can give you your op note. But um the, the main thing if you're having a lift, the lift's not so much but but certainly with a reduction. But if you're having um another one if you've already had a lift slash or a reduction before, when we do a lift or a reduction um, we keep the nipple attached somehow. Pretty much, I always keep it attached to the top, if you're interested. So pretty much when I do it, I always keep it attached, almost called a superior pedicle when I'm doing a lift. If it was a pure lift, reductions, I do them in different ways. But a, but a lift, I pretty much always keep the nipple attached on a superior pedicle. And um, so when you have the second lift, you have to have the same pedicle. That makes sense. You have to keep it attached the same way. You don't want them keeping it attached on an inferior pedicle and cutting all the top bit, which is where all the blood supply is coming in. And then that, that pedicle will be based on scar. If that makes sense. The bottom line is, yes, you can have a um, have a lift if you've already had one. And but it's um, you, ideally your surgeon will want to get your original op notes. I know, you know, I know who your surgeon is, so I can, you know, sort that out. Um, but that's a good question. Serena Levin, I had a reduction with Dr. Stano. Well, Serena Levin, you must have got married or something, haven't you? Because I know, I think I know, I think I can say what your surname was, but it wasn't Levin, or you maybe got a Facebook surname. But anyway, um, hi, Serena, with an uplift six to seven years ago. Best thing I ever did, best surgeon for it. I, it changed my life. Ridiculous how that may sound. Serena, it was, yeah, I remember we, yeah. I remember you, Serena, not Levain, but I remember you, Savina. Uh, oh, thanks for that, that's kind. Um, my boobs are mega large. I was a JJ, so I feel your pain. I am a JJ. No, but I know what you mean, JJ. Yeah. Uh, where is this surgeon situated, Serena? I'm here, Joyce, I'm here. You don't have to ask Serena. Um, Oh, you see, oh, Levain, is that your middle name? Mm, Levain. Um, well, Serena can tell you where I'm situated. I think if I'm right, Serena, where did I, was it Parkway? Anyway, so, um, Joyce, I am in Edgebaston in Birmingham. Um, I'm in Birmingham, but I don't see new patients, Joyce. 
but I've got a clinic and I've got other surgeons working in the clinic and I work with them and I support them and we all work together. But um, the, yeah, so it's in Edgbaston in Birmingham. Yeah, in, in a minute. Yeah, in a bit later on, in a minute. My dad's staying with me. Sorry about that. Um, so, um, Tracy, good. I don't know if you're earlier, Tracy, but uh, check out the replay. You didn't do my first lift, though, didn't I, Fiona? Oh. Well, I've done something, haven't I? Oh, well, so much for that. What did I do then? All right. Your first lift. Okay. Nothing about Anyway. Okay, well, yeah, get this, get the, the notes off your first surgeon then, ideally. Um, Serena's using a middle name, don't blame you. Joyce, also, I had a stent put in my heart 10 years ago. I've had it all clear from cardiologist other days, so I need this. Yeah. Uh, Spire, yeah, Serena, of course. Do you don't do operation? Do you don't do operation? Um, I don't do operation on, I, I will, Serena, I'll see you, I, my Serena, Fiona, all my current patients, I will see you for the, until the end of time. Um, but I am not seeing new patients, Joyce. But um, because I've got a clinic and I'm trying to build the clinic and build other surgeons, and we all work together, and um, and we are trying to develop systems and processes to give a great service to everybody. And it was becoming more and more difficult if I was doing all the surgery. I mean, look at my hair; how crazy it's gone. Um, so I'm I'm now working with colleagues at my clinic, so we all work together. So we have a clinic in. Baston. so that's where and the stent in the heart yeah that's probably um yeah that's that's again it's a bit like the the uh, sickle cell one you have to be careful in terms of the um we'd have to speak to the cardiologist see if you need antibiotics and things like that sometimes you need antibiotics or anything like that um but yeah if you're physically fit um then that that should be fine as long as we have the all clear from your cardiologist which you have there you go you've had the all clear from your cardiologist so there you go Dog ears. Um, hi, later, could you discuss dog ears, how they happen, what happens during revision and aftercare, please? So, yeah, I did, did answer this because I have got, there's a video on YouTube about this, about how, about what, what dog ears are and stuff like that. And so, um, basically, any time you cut out tissue, you get a dog ear. If you, the only way you don't get a dog ear is you make a cut and stitch it up, you don't get a dog ear. But if you're cutting out tissue, when you're cutting out, if you can imagine cutting out a circle, imagine getting a bit of cloth and cutting out a circle and stitching it up, you're going to get big bumps on either side. Yeah, can you sort of envisage that? If you've got, yeah. So, um, so most things, well, this is more for moles and things. Um, when you when you cut out a, a, a circular mole, you, you have to make it into a lip to stop the dog ears. But if you think about a tummy tuck, it's bigger lips. So if you cut, you cut out an ellipse, um, you you tape the ellipse down on the side so the dog ears get smaller. So that but when you cut close that skin, you get a pleat, you get a bulge. So that's what a dog ear is, just a bulge at the end of the scar. You get it with tummy tucks, you get it with uh anytime you cut out skin. Um mastopexies, breast reductions, facelifts, brachioplasties, thigh lifts, anything. You, you anytime you're cutting out skin, you've got a potential for a dog ear, for a bump at the end of the scar. And the way you make your dog ear, the way you get rid of your dog ear is you make the scar longer, you taper it. The, the, the narrower the taper, then the smaller the dog ear. So one end of the spectrum, you've got a circle, the other end of the spectrum, you've got a straight line. If you cut out a straight line and stitch it, no dog ears. If you cut out a circle, you get a massive dog ear. 
So between the two is an ellipse and the sort of longer the ellipse, the smaller the dog ear. So we're always trying to make the scar as small as possible. I'm not sure what operation this is uh, referring to, but I think it's a um, tummy tuck. I've got, I don't know why I think it's a tummy tuck, but let's just say it is a tummy tuck. So the longer you make the scar, same with the breast reduction actually, the longer you make the scar, the, the um, smaller the dog ear. So that is, what was the question again? how they happen so that's how they happen what happens during revision you just cut it out you just treat it like a, a bowl and you just cut it out so you will get smaller dog ears you get slightly longer scar smaller dog ears but you hope that the dog ear then settles because when you first have the surgery swelling and things like that the dog is often a bit more obvious when the swelling goes down the hope is that it's not noticeable um and then if it is still noticeable, you cut it out you keep on going and if it's a tummy tuck you end up going all the way around but you don't but you know if you did go all the way around and go down then you wouldn't get a dog ear but it's a bit extreme but um yeah, during revision, just cut it out, make the scar slightly longer, uh, and uh, that, that's how you fix a dog ear. They're relatively easy to fix, usually under local anaesthetic. It's not a big deal. Um, I say that everything's a big deal for a patient, but, you know, it's it's not nice having to have it, but it's a walk-in, walk-out procedure. It's not like a major operation. And aftercare, aftercare is not much, really. Usually dissolvable sutures, waterproof dressing, at least in my practice it is wash and shower straight away dressing off after a week scars a bit red and then the scar has to fade again so again if it's not like a tummy tuck you usually wait at least sort of three six maybe 12 months to, to see how, how the dog is settles so your rest of your scars probably settled really nicely and then you've got another bit at the end which is fresh scar which doesn't look very nice because you have this bit at the end which is all fresh and you have to wait another year for that scar to settle but um as in knocking your back and things it doesn't knock your back much it's usually not too bad um Right, what's going on in this chat box? Serena, uh, Tracy was here from the start. Serena Leven is, it is. Joyce, how do, who do I contact at your clinic? Um, you can get in touch with me, Joyce, on Facebook. You can just Facebook message me um, or you can um, ring the clinic. Nicola at the clinic is probably the person to contact. Um, and we got several surgeons there. We can talk to you about them and see when your days are and who's going to be best for you. Um, Serena, possible to have the smallest possible implants put in to keep my breasts where they are. Two children later on, there aren't as they were. Yeah, Serena, I need to see you. I have dog ears. Ended up pregnant before I could come get them sorted out. No problem, Serena. Come and see me. I will sort out your dog ears. Nice picture of a dog. And um, the, the really good question, actually, Serena, about the dog, about the implants. Um, goes back to what I was saying about using implants to add projection to the breast you can use implants to add projection to the breast if they have sort of drooped a bit the the thing that is important though is that often people say look i really want implants because i just want the, the shape i don't really want to be much bigger now in order to give you that projection they have to be a certain size they have to be a certain width because they have to be a certain height in order to give you projection in the upper pole which is what they want which is what you want so they have to be a certain size so it doesn't really work doing that with small implants so small implants don't really give much projection to the breast. So you would have to have a certain size of implant. So there's two things with the breast, shape and volume. If it's a shape problem, probably a lift would be the thing. You know, if you've had it, if you've become pregnant, had children, two children, your breasts are droop, maybe your shape is, is your skin is stretched. Maybe a lift will be the thing if you're happy with the volume. Now, if you're like, well, actually, now you mentioned it, I want them to be a bit bigger um then maybe implants would be an idea because okay you want to be bigger well that's fine then you might accept the increase in volume but if you have implants just to try and address the shape just to try and combat the droop 
you might end up going being quite a bit bigger and you might be like oh god what's happened here what's he done oh and it doesn't lift the breast and um, rather it doesn't lift the nipple the nipple if it's sitting low will still sit low but it adds projection to the breast so mm, i understand where you're coming from and a lot of people say that i just want a small implant just to keep my breasts where they were but doesn't really work Serena so that's something we'd have to chat about but we can definitely chat about it when you come for your dog here we'll have a we'll have a we'll have a um a wrap about that Ella hi how long after having a baby can you have a tummy tuck with muscle repair so there's a couple of things the first thing is the sort of physiological your body you know when you have a baby or um body or you often put on weight and your body is prone to clotting because it's ready for the baby to de to deliver um and your skin has been stretched and it will recoil to a degree so i would say minimum is six months is my answer to that just to let your body start to come back to normal maybe try and get your weight back to normal maybe get, get, let your skin recoil because it might recoil you might say oh it's never re going to recoil enough but it might you know you've got to let it see how much your tummy recoils so i would say six months is minimum but then you've got to think about the fact that you've got a six-month-old baby to look after and a tummy tuck is quite a big deal. So I would say ideally about a year is my thing because the child's sort of starting to walk then maybe becoming a bit more manageable. You're giving yourself a bit more time for your body to recover from the from the pregnancy. The problem is a lot of people say, oh, I'm on maternity and I want to have it while I'm on maternity leave and things like that. So I understand all those things. But for me, it's a year. Minimum is six months. But um, ideally, I would say waiting a year, Ella, on that one. Joyce. Do you have contact for your clinic much thanks yeah i do um i'm sure it's on the facebook page joyce there's a phone number 454-3680 info at dianoplasticsurgery.co.uk facebook me just message me in fact I tell you what well, this is a message on facebook isn't it we can put something after that con comment to, with the contact of the clinic that's a good idea i should have thought of that earlier sharon if one breast is larger than the other, can you even them up during a lift without implants asking for a friend? Yeah, good question, Sharon. The only thing if that's the best way to even things up. So if one's breast is larger than the other and you're unhappy with the shape, then a lift is an ideal operation because you do a lift. But the thing I would stress is that you'd have to do a reduction of the bigger breast. So you'd have to be happy with the volume of the smaller breast. So as long as you're happy with the volume of the smaller breast, then that's absolutely fine obviously if you're not happy with the volume of the smaller breast and you want to be the volume of the bigger breast then you could do a lift with an implant in the smaller breast and if you're not happy with both of them then you could do a lift with implants in both which could either be differential augmentation or a reduction of the bigger breast and then same size augmentation so um yeah so that is a uh, good question, Sharon, but yeah, definitely lift and reduce a bigger breast is a good option. Khan says, thank you. No, thank you, Khan. Eileen, great info. Thank you. Great comment, Eileen. Love it. Thank you. Look at Joyce saying thank you. I'm doing well today. Serena Levin. Brilliant. Thank you. I'll call up to come in and see you for the doggies and talk about implants slash another lift. Let's um... <laughs> go. It's definitely Serena, definitely. Liz, hi, I sent you photos of my tummy tuck. What is the best way forward for me? Yes, Liz, you did. And that is what I'm going to talk about now, which is my next question, probably. And I've got two patients who've requested, who've given me photos. I'm not sure. Um, I'll just, I'll answer. So basically, we've, uh, the first patient has a wound breakdown um 
and I can't remember, I can't remember which one, which, sorry, sorry, Liz, but I'm sure you're one of these two. And I'm not, I'm not sure, I know you are. So anyway, one patient that's had a, a wound breakdown and uh, is three months post-op and is, is it this one? Um, no, so someone's had a, a wound breakdown um, and is worried because their surgeon's away for, um, away and and they is i think it's three months post-op now that what i wanted to say is a tummy tuck is a big here we go I, ha I have two holes in my tummy tuck scar my surgeon and and my nurse at gps both say not infected i'm three months post-op now and it's not healing i'm having iodine dressings can you took a, take a look at this photo and offer me any advice regards my surgeon is on holiday so i can't see him until the 24th okay so i've had a look at that photo and um what i would say is this is the problem a tummy tuck is a big op and there are bad things that can happen and you can get problems with the uh with the wound healing with the tummy tuck and uh um it's again it's difficult like it's always good to stay close with your surgeon slash G, uh, slash practice, you know, the cosmetic nurse or whatever. Um, and it's difficult for me to sort of give advice about photos sort of when you're under another surgeon. But um, what I would say in general terms are that uh, often wounds when your tummy tucks break down can be significant because by definition, we've closed the wound under tension. One of the principles of surgery and so in plastic surgery is like tension-free closure but a tummy tuck and all this sort of surgery for cosmetic surgery, like any sort of skin, um, uh, any sort of body recontouring and, um, you know, um, body reshaping, facelifts, tummy tucks, mastopexies, they're all closed under tension because we're tightening the skin. So when the wound does break down, boom, you know, because it's tight and then whoosh, so it does ping open. So you do get quite um, impressive wounds when tummy tucks break down. And I'm sorry that you've got one, but, uh, it's difficult for me to be too um, you know, specific about it because it is really um, something that you're under treatment for with your surgeon. But try not to worry about it because you can get impressive wounds which do heal. The main thing is, number one, from the surgeon's point of view and the, the, the nurse's point of view, that you've got to work closely with them in terms of dressings, swabs, treating infection, if and when it occurs. They're often not infected. People often think they're infected because they have these big wounds. They think, oh my God, they must. They're often not infected. Infection is usually when the red, the skin around it is red and angry and painful and it gets uncomfortable. You know, infection is usually pretty obvious, but a wound in itself doesn't necessarily need antibiotics unless there's sort of cellulitis and redness around it. Um, but it's good to have regular swabs so you know what's about. Um, and, and regular dressings often can help to clean the things up. Um, so um, that's the main thing. Uh, the second thing is yourself. It's really hard. And this patient's had three months uh, with a wound and it's really hard to stay positive. But try and stay positive. Uh, eat healthily, um, fresh fruit and veg. Don't smoke. And I know this patient doesn't smoke, which is Did it all go black? Um, so don't smoke um, and maintain a healthy diet because when you've got a wound, you need to heal yourself more. It's like when you're in hospital, you need to eat and maintain good nutrition because you need to heal and make sure you're, you're uh, what is that? Keeps being bleep. Over here. Um, you need to make sure that, that um, 
the nutrition is right because um, you need to actually um, eat more even though you're feeling ill and you're feeling run down and you don't want to eat anything so it's good to have maintain a good diet um, so that's person one person two is I had a tummy tuck two years post past October it's a very long story but basically I ended up with three surgeries and a lot of bleeding and a wound that refused to heal. The scar line is not smooth like in and out, if that makes sense. What I'm really asking is, can this ever be fixed? I was never able to wear my binder due to this. So this is a um, this um, is a difficult one because it looks like there, when I look at the photos, I look at a snapshot of what it looks like today. You know, I don't know anything about the history. I don't know anything of what you've been through and what you've gone through. And it sounds like you've gone through a lot. So um, purely looking at the photos, it looks like there might be some redundant skin still there. So you could think, oh, you could tidy that up and, you know, take more skin away. Maybe if the scar is a bit denting, it tended in, try and improve that and, and revise the scar. Revision of scars is always difficult and it can uh, recur. But, you know, I think there's mileage to potentially make things better. The problem is when someone's having, even if you just have a revision of your scar to try and tidy things up and make things better, it's a long scar. It's still a big op. It's still a big wound to heal up again. And so you've got to go through the potential of having more problems. And as I say, tummy tucks are prone to problems and you've had problems. So do you want to put yourself through more potential for problems because it's, you know, it's two years now, so you've let your scar settle. So I think looking at photos, I think it would be possible to, to make things better uh, with surgery. But if you did that, you would have to accept you've got risks of getting the same problem again, bleeding, infection, wound not healing up. The scar might pucker in again. Obviously, we wouldn't do the surgery if we thought you're going to get problems. But if we did do the surgery, you'd have to accept there's a risk of getting problems again. So it depends on how much it bothers you. If it was me, I would be thinking, flipping neck, I've had three surgeries. I've had a lot of bleeding. The wound refused to heal. Oh my God, I've been through a nightmare. Thank God that nightmare's over. Let me get on with my life. And I think there's a lot to be said for that rather than getting on to a potentially another nightmare. And I'm hoping it won't be another nightmare. It'd be great. And you think sail through it. But I think there's a risk of it not being great. I don't know what's happening with your weight. You know, ideally BMI below 30. I don't know if you smoke or anything like that. You need to not smoke. You know, you need to optimize your situation. But I think in general terms, I would think if you've been through three surgeries and a lot of problems and wound healing problems and bleeding, et cetera, et cetera, I would quit while you're while you're where you are. It, well, I think there's an argument to say quit while you're where you are. It depends on how much the fact that the scar line is not smooth and, and the problems that you've got bother you as to whether it's worth taking on the risk of further surgery. Because as I say, if you had further surgery, it would still be big surgery. It would still be a big scar and it would still be risks of having problems which you would have to take on. Oh my God, that's my last question. It's my last question, guys. Um, but I've got some questions here. So uh, Sharon says, thank you. Liz says, not me. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think, yeah. Uh, Holly, how early can you get dog ears removed? Minimum, 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 minimum three months. Wait, the longer you wait, the better, Holly. Um, if you try and do it too soon, it's just because they can settle. That's why. I mean, if they're really big, they might think, oh, yeah. I get on. But if they're getting better, then I'd leave it. Uh, they're getting better. Junction here. Um, so I would leave things as long as possible, really. So ideally six to 12 months, but minimum of three months before you even think about it. Ella, can you have a tummy tuck breast argumentation and liposuction arms and thighs in the same surgery time? 
Okay. Tummy tuck and best breast argumentation, definitely. Liposuction arms and thighs. Blimey, Ella, you're asking a lot there. Um, I think, well, can you, well, in answering your question, can you? Yes, you can, Ella. Yes, you can. I think that's quite a lot. <laughs> I think that's quite a lot to have in one go. I think a tummy tuck and breast augmentation is a reasonable combination, and that's the sort of standard combination. But um, I think to have a tummy tuck, breast augmentation, liposuction, arms and thighs, that's a lot of areas to be operated on. It's a long operation. I think you'd have to, I, I, would, I wouldn't recommend it to be honest. And the other thing you've got to think about is how you're going to be afterwards. It's bad enough having your tummy and your breast done. You're like this, you know, arms and legs as well. Oh my God, hard to walk, hard to move. For me, I think that's too much, Ella. It can, it can physically be done, but I would consider maybe I don't know, breast augmentation and liposuction arms or tummy tuck and liposuction thighs or probably the most, do the most valuable things first or the most valuable things for you. So that's only you can decide, but often it's the tummy tuck and the breast augmentation. They're the sort of best sort of value for money ops. Um, and then maybe thinking about liposuction later. But uh, yeah, technically it can be done in one go, but I would say that's quite a lot to be done in one go, personally, but that's something we could discuss with them consultation liz thank you so much great advice much respect much respect for you liz thanks for asking who's behind the door liz i don't know who that was um it was my father first time i don't know who the second time was it's my dad's staying here at the moment don't want to get into that um bye see you next week best wishes my island oh thanks thanks eileen um eileen's off and you know what so am i because I'm checking myself out because we're out of time. That's what they say on all these. I'm listening to podcasts at the moment. We're out of time. We're not out of time. I'll stay here as long as you want. But uh, it sounds good at the end of a thing, doesn't it? We're out of time now, folks. Um, thanks, Holly. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to go and see who's behind the door. I need a note on the door, like, you know, broadcasting, live broadcasting progress. So thank you all. That was some really good questions. Thank you for your questions. Always very much appreciated. If you've got any questions, message me. I think I've had some messages going on while I've been here. Um, and uh, I'd be lovely. Oh, next week is half term. In fact, Easter, not half term. Sorry. In fact, this week is Easter, isn't it? I think that's why. But anyway, next week I'm away. So it'll be the week after, if that's okay. So week on Tuesday, whenever that is. And I will see you there. And uh, seven o'clock, Roxana, you were first in, first man in, last man out. That's what I like to see. And I will see you. Um, oh, Eileen's last. Anyway, Roxana, you were first in, second to last out. Eileen, your gas. Your gas. I will see you next week, uh, week after next, seven o'clock, right here at the same place. And uh, much love. Thanks for coming. Have a nice evening. And have a nice Easter holiday and have a nice Easter. Happy Easter. I should have had a happy Easter one. All right, then. Roxanne is last one. Yes. I'm not going to be beating. I knew you were going to be beating Roxana. First in, last now. That's what I like to see. Big up yourself. Okay. Happy Easter, y'all. And good night. Ending the Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.